Welcome to the Cornerstone Baptist Church podcast. My name is Justin Wheeler. I am the preaching pastor for Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. It's no secret that the last three months have presented some pretty significant challenges to our lives. Now, prior to March of 2020, the words global pandemic didn't really mean all that much to most of us. They sounded more like the plot to a movie than to the state of reality. But we're all much more familiar with these words nowadays. When the news first broke, um, I was at a basketball game with my family. It was spring break week for my wife and kids. We were out of school. We had made some plans. We were going to spend time together, do some things together. And on that particular night, we were at a Dallas Mavericks game. Uh, the, The Mavericks were playing the Denver Nuggets. And just in case you care, the Mavs won the game. (laughs) But in the final seconds, as the final seconds of the game were ticking off the clock, the NBA decided to suspend the rest of the season. See, we had planned as a family uh, not just to go to that game, but to spend the whole weekend together in Fort Worth. But COVID-19 happened, and all of those plans changed. And they changed for you as well. And they didn't just change for, for you and for I. They changed for the entire world. And then when Sunday of that week rolled around and we gathered for worship, the building was only half full. So many people were concerned and worried, legitimately so. They're worried for their health, worried for the health of their family members. When we think about this in in theological terms, we call that being providentially hindered from gathering. And then a week later, the elders and deacons came together and we discussed it. We looked at all the information that was available at that time and we decided to close our building and move our weekly worship gathering online. And we did that for nearly two months. The only way we could see one another was on a screen. And the only way we could communicate was by using an electronic device, a, a telephone or a computer. And when we talked, if we talked, it was about the pandemic and what was going on in our lives or in our workplaces or, or what have you. The spring of 2020 has been the most challenging season of life that many of us can remember. We've lost some things that we can't get back. Time, money, jobs, maybe even relationships. But as the world begins to open back up and our lives along with it, what impact will this have on our life together as a church? That's the question that keeps me up at night. And that's the question I want to discuss with you today. You see, as Christians, we understand that the most important things in life haven't changed. Yes, a lot has changed. And to the world outside of the church, maybe they would believe that that life has completely changed. But we understand that as believers, our core identity remains intact because our core identity isn't rooted in our health. It's not rooted in our safety. It's not rooted in the stock market. Our core identity as Christians is rooted in Jesus. Our hope is in Him. Our security is in Him. And the Bible would have us understand that our unity as a church, as a local body of believers, is also rooted in Him. Now, there are dozens of passages in the New Testament that aim to help us grasp this whole idea, this this idea between the, the interplay of our identity as Christians and the activity that flows out of that identity. But I want to look with you at Romans chapter 12 for just a few minutes, and I want us to think together about how our faith in Christ directly impacts our fellowship with one another. So Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 3, here's what it says. For by the grace given to me, 
I say to every one of you not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, as God has distributed to each of you a measure of faith. For just as in one body we have many members, and not all members serve the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members who belong to one another. Now, this is Romans chapter chapter 12. We just skipped over chapters 1 through 11, and, and but those chapters are bearing their weight on what we see here. In fact, it's in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 that the Apostle Paul begins to apply all of the 11 chapters of gospel doctrine that he's been teaching us about. And when he begins to apply those things, he says this right here, For by the grace given to me, I say to you not to think more highly of yourself than you ought, but to think with sober judgment. We're not all the same. We're very different. But those differences don't change the fact that we are all members of one body in Christ. We are members who belong to one another, he says. Now, I don't know what jumped out at you when I read these words to you, when I read this passage, but three ideas stood out to me. And I don't know why I think in terms of threes. Maybe it's because of my Baptist background. But I think when I read this passage, I see three things just, just rising to the top. I see humility, diversity, and unity. And all of these things are being affected or impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ for us. So let's think about these three things, humility, diversity, and unity. Paul says here that, um, well, I want to notice at least right out of the gate that he says, look, I'm a recipient of grace as well. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to you. Right out of the gate, we see that the apostle Paul is not relying upon his authority. He's not boasting in his accomplishments. He's boasting, I'm a recipient of grace just like you. Paul is showing us, characteristically, his own humility. This is the man responsible for writing two-thirds of our New Testament. This is a man that has taken the gospel to the ends of the earth, at least at that particular day. This is an, an incredibly accomplished servant of Christ, but he doesn't identify himself in that way. He identifies himself as a recipient of God's grace. His ministry to the church is to be a dispenser of grace because he has been shown grace. He doesn't lord his authority, his responsibility over others, but rather he serves as one who has been humbled by the sacrificial grace of Jesus. I mean, think about this. At least this is the, the, the thought process that I think is going through the Apostle Paul's mind. If the God of the universe is willing to humble himself and die in the place of undeserving sinners like you and me, then surely we, his people, should operate with a similar humility. I think that's Paul's point. As gospel people, we need to think of ourselves and others through gospel lenses. We don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought. But we let the way to the gospel sober us and think of ourselves with humility, not pride. And this gospel humility is not just to be seen in, in men like Paul. It's not just to be seen in, in leaders within the church. It's supposed to be active in the life of the church. He says, I say to everyone among you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought. Uh, in his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote a chapter titled, The Great Sin, and he was talking about pride in that chapter. 
He writes this, There is one vice in which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people, except Christians, ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. I'm talking about pride. And pride is the opposite of the kind of humility that the Apostle Paul is calling for here. C.S. Lewis goes on to write that pride is at the root of every sin. Pride is that frame of mind that wants us to compete with everyone and with everything. Pride is the chief cause of misery in the world and in the family. And many of us can attest that pride has been a chief cause of misery within the church. But if there is any vice in us that the gospel takes clear aim at, it's pride. Pride causes us to look at ourselves in this self-obsessed way. It causes us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. It causes us to think we're better, we're smarter, we're more successful, we're more deserving, we're more gifted, we're more... I mean, you fill in the blank. It causes us to think of ourselves in a position of superiority to everyone around us. But the gospel comes in and it cuts pride off at the roots And that's what Paul is telling us to do here in Romans 12, is to let the pride-destroying truth of the gospel humble us. The very first thing he wants to do, he wants the gospel to do as it's applied into our, our lives, is to humble us. And not just humble us, but humble us in the way that we view others. Gospel humility is seeing ourselves for who we really are and seeing others for who they really are according to Christ. And and who we really are is we are sinners whose pardon could only be supplied by the death of the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. (laughs) Our sin, yours and mine, is so great before God that eternal punishment in hell is a just punishment. And our sin, yours and mine, is so great that the only way that our sin could be dealt with appropriately is that God's own Son had to give up His life to pay its ransom. See, too often we think of our sin as something small. We don't think of it in these terms. We we think of it as no big deal. And when we think of our sin as no big deal, then we see that Christ is no big deal. We, we, if we look at our sin as something insignificant, then we have to see that the remedy for sin is also something insignificant. But when we see our sin as exposed by the cross, we realize the horror of our hearts in the eyes of God and because we see what was required to cleanse us from the guilt of our sin. And we also see at the same time, not just how great our sin is, but we also see how great is the amazing love of Christ for us, that he willingly gave up his life to make us his bride. And and this humbles us. It, It was Martin Luther who said that the man who has learned to view himself as a great sinner before God will not see himself as a Lord among men, but he will see himself as a beggar telling other beggars where to find food. See, one of the most important things that we need to remember as we re-engage with each other as a church is this foundational sense of gospel humility, that the gospel cuts our pride out from under us. It humbles us. It brings us to our knees, and it causes us to realize that everyone in the room, all the other believers in the room who put their hope and trust in Jesus, they're on their knees as well. Gospel humility is foundational to our unity as the body of Christ. 
But there's something else that Paul wants us to see about this uh, application of the gospel in the body. The second thing that we see in this passage is diversity. If, if you go back to verse 12, it says, For just as in one body we have many members, not all members serving the same function. See, the church is made up of people who are you know, not all exactly alike. Right? In fact, God tells us that the church will be made up of men and women from every tribe and every tongue and every nation in this world. And, and so what God is helping us understand is that the church is intended by His design to be uh, immensely diverse. And along with that diversity come, come massive potential for problems, right? And we know this to be true because we just know what life is like. We naturally get along with people who are like us. But even then, even if we're just talking about in our own household, the people who are most like us, um, our, our children and, and our brothers and sisters and, uh, and our, our families, we still have really significant disagreements, even there. But, but Paul wants us to understand that the gospel is drawing us together into a community, and, and it's drawing us together in the fact that there's going to be this diversity. We're not all the same people but we are members of one another. We don't all serve the same function. We don't all possess the same gifts. We don't educate our kids the same way. We don't have the same level of education. We don't make the same money. We don't agree on politics. We don't do things all the same, but we are each part of one body. We are very different people when it comes to our likes and our dislikes. We are very different people in the way we do family, in the way we have certain preferences. But none of these things, Paul says, none of these things, God says, should jeopardize the fact that we are a family because of our common faith in Christ. You see, diversity is not the thing that stands in the way of our unity. In fact, God would help us understand that our diversity is meant to make us stronger within the body of Christ. Think of it this way. Those people who think differently than you might actually help you think more deeply about certain issues. Those people who have come from different backgrounds than you have learned lessons about God's grace and love that you haven't, and you can learn from their wisdom. Those people who love to work with their hands have a lot to share with those of us who would rather read a book and vice versa. We don't all have the same gifts. We don't all have the same responsibilities because the needs within the church aren't meant to be met by just a couple of people. We're called to work together to celebrate the gifts and differences of others. We, we learn from one another. We serve one another. And we should be thankful for the unique blessing that each of us brings to the family. It shouldn't make us bitter or jealous toward other guys or insecure about our gifts. The gospel shouldn't make us, uh, it should make us want to celebrate and be thankful for the gifts that other people have. God has given to us one another, and, and, and we are to celebrate and be thankful for the gifts that God has given that others bring into the community. And we are stronger because of our diversity. And no matter what your gifts are, you are an indispensable part of your church family. You see, our faith in Christ should impact our fellowship because of the humility it fosters in us. It should impact our fellowship because of the diversity that we enjoy. And it should impact our fellowship by giving rise to a very unique type of unity. The gospel actually creates unity among us because when we come to faith in Christ, we become individual parts of one body. 
I'm thinking back to Romans 12, 5. Paul says, so we who are many are one body in Christ. Now, Paul's using this illustration of a physical body, right? A physical body, like a head and a torso and arms and, and legs and feet and hands and fingers and all this kind of thing. And he's saying that, yes, there are fingers and yes, there are hands and yes, there's a head and yes, there are ears. But all of these individual parts make up one body. And the body doesn't function. The body doesn't work unless all of the individual parts come together. And those individual parts belong to one another. And he takes that, uh, that idea and he applies it to the church. He says, individually, we are members, but we are all members who belong to one another. Have you begun to think of yourself as a member of the church body and that you belong to the other members? In his book, True Community, Jerry Bridges writes, From all over the world, God has drawn together a spiritual community whose members share a common life in Christ. That, that phrase, share a common life, that's his translation of the Greek word koinonia. And the idea is not that um, you know we're all kind of doing the same thing at times together, but then we go our separate ways. He's saying, no, we're all sharing in one life of one body. Koinonia, he says, expresses, first of all, the relationship that the members of this Christ-centered community have with God and with each other. All believers share a common life in Christ, whether we recognize it or not, he says. And Romans 12.5 teaches that each member of the body belongs to all the others. There is this mutual ownership of one another. I belong to you, you belong to me, and we each belong to all the other members of the body. This is an objective statement of fact. But because we do belong to one another, we are to express this belonging in acts of mutual concern and caring for one another. Now, that's the end of the quote from Jerry Bridges, but I'm going to extend that out. We are not called to each wander through life on our own little individualistic spiritual journeys. We are not called to look out for ourselves and let every other believer fend for themselves. We are not called to ignore the needs and the concerns and the burdens of our brothers and sisters. We are actually called to share our lives with one another in a way that reflects the fact that we belong to one another. Now, I don't know if you've thought about this in a while, but this is profound. This is something unlike anything else in the world. This is the kind of community that is devoted to one another no matter what, to the very end. We can't look at each other and think that we would be better off if we weren't together. That's not how a body works. When one part of the body hurts, the whole body feels the pain. When one part of the body aches with sadness, the rest of the body weeps along with it. When one part of the body rejoices in some good news, the rest of the body enjoys that good news as well. We are members of one body. We belong to one another. So the loving sacrifice of Christ gives rise to humility within us. And out of that humility, we learn to appreciate the diversity within the body because even though we are different, we are united as members of the one body. We love one another. We listen to one another. We serve one another. We're patient with one another. We sacrifice for one another because in Christ, we share a common life. So as life resumes, as our gathering together within the body of Christ uh, is made possible, as we re-engage with one another, let's not abandon this gospel-centered humility. Let's once again learn to appreciate this gospel-fueled, God-directed diversity. And let's learn to serve one another because we belong 
to one another. Now, I want to let the Word of God have the final word today. So I want to close with this passage from Ephesians 4 that reflects so much what we just read in Romans 12. In Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul says this, that we ought to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which we have been called. He's saying that we should walk in such a way, we, could, we should live and conduct our lives in such a way that the gospel is the, the savor. It's what's being displayed in the way that we live. And he says we should do this with all humility and all gentleness and with patience, bearing with one another in love, being eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Amen. Now, if you would like to learn more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at CBC Wiley. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstonewiley. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play to stay up to date on all the new content. Thank you so much for listening.